because it's getting ready to be on. Welcome, gangsters. I have no explanation for what happened. You guys are so young and stupid. No idea who you're talking about. It's a faith-based sports radio program. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. I'm not certain that that format is ever going to work. I have a high moral standard. I love you guys. love the program. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out, world. I think it is time we demonstrated the full power of this station. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Benson and Those Guys. Although it's not Benson and Those Guys today, it's once again Zach and the iPad as Benson is out of town and Darren is doing something. He's doing something. No one Darren, it could be anything. But anyways, I'm here. There's probably nobody listening since it's the 4th of July, Independence Day anyways. But here we go. Let's have some fun. Uh, I want to thank you for tuning in, uh, if you are actually listening. Uh, no matter how you're listening, whether you're listening live on 105.5 The Team, whether you're streaming me online at theteam.fm, or whether you're catching us late and you've downloaded our podcast on iTunes or from our website, btgprogram.com, thanks once again for checking us out. Joe Madden, Cubs manager Joe Madden, known for being unique, something of a uh, little bit of a crazy genius, uh, doing interesting things to keep his players focused. When he was with the Rays, he used to bring zoo animals to the to the ballpark or, or to wherever the players were. Well, the Cubs are on the road, so he couldn't find a zoo animal, so he brought a magician. The Cubs had just been swept by the Cardinals, so Joe, Joe Madden brought Simon the Magician, who performed several tricks for the team, including uh, crushing a pop can, uncrushing it, and then somehow pouring liquid out of it. Uh, even John Lester, who says he's not a big Magic fan, said he's creeped out by it, said it was cool, said it was amazing. He enjoyed it. So Joe Madden, again, streak of crazy genius, brought a magician, and it worked. The Cubs went out and beat the Mets. So streak over, Magic show. That's the way to go. Staying with baseball, the MLB All-Star Game. You know that the TV show that they do on ESPN where they reveal who the winners are, who's going to be on the All-Star Game rosters. That show is lame, right? It, it, you could put the, the rosters online, and we'd know in five seconds who the, the All-Stars were. Well, not only do they have that lame show, they've announced this year the Esurance All-Star Starter Selection Show on ESPN is going to be two days long. That's right. Uh, on Sunday, they're going to announce the starters, uh, and on Monday... July 6th, they will announce the reserves, the pitchers, and the final vote candidate winners. As if that one-day, one-hour show wasn't bad enough, they're not going to take two days to tell us who's going to be in the All-Star Game. The All-Star Game is enough of a joke as it is. The fact that it uh, quote-unquote counts uh, to determine home field advantage for the World Series is enough of a joke. But the fact that it counts... It counts for a home field advantage in the World Series, but you still see stuff like, uh, how many Royals was it a couple weeks ago? Like seven or eight Royals. The, the AL All-Star game was basically going to be the Royals and Mike Trout versus the National League. And the Royals are good. Yeah, but that's, that's just a joke. 
So on top of that, now you've got we're going to make the All Star Selection announcement show two days. It's not the NFL draft, guys. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to tune in. It's going to be some of the worst ratings ESPN's ever had. I'm sorry. That's it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. Something you would think would be just as terrible of an idea is trading for somebody who hasn't played since 2011, but that's what the Arizona Coyotes did. They traded for Chris Pronger from the Philadelphia Flyers. The interesting thing about this is not only was Chris Pronger traded despite not having played since 2011 when he was hit in the eye with a stick blade given a concussion deemed unsafe to be able to play again, He's officially still active. He hasn't retired, but he works for the league in the Department of Player Safety. And he was elected to the Hall of Fame this week. That's right. The Arizona Coyotes traded for a Hall of Famer, Chris Pronger, who, by the way, hasn't played in four years. Now, anyone who's familiar with hockey understands what's going on. There's a cap floor that each team has to spend X amount of millions of dollars that you can't spend, you know, almost nothing. You have to spend over the cap floor. The Coyotes traded... It's funny, it's even listed on the NHL's uh, transaction list as the Coyotes acquired the contract of Chris Pronger. Not Chris Pronger, acquired the contract of Chris Pronger. He's still in the books for, I want to say, two more years. They acquired a contract that will count towards the salary cap. They're going to pay him to help them get over the cap floor, but never step on the ice. It's one of those weird things, one of those weird loopholes. He hasn't played in four years. He's never going to play again. He works for the league and he's in the Hall of Fame, but he was just acquired this week by the Arizona Coyotes. We're going to talk about hockey a little more. We're going to talk about uh, what happened with free agency, the trades surrounding the draft. Something else that caught my eye this week. Remember the FIFA scandal? It wasn't that long ago, but I feel like we've been desperate to talk about anything else because A, it's soccer, and B, it's negative news. Well, it's not going to go away because Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are making a movie about it. That's right. BuzzFeed reporter Ken Bensinger wrote a book called Houses of Deceit. Uh, it's considered the definitive account of American FIFA executive Chuck Blazer, his role in that uh, corruption, that scandal with FIFA. Well, Warner Brothers won the rights to make a movie of Houses of Deceit. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are going to make it. I don't know if it's going to be Goodwill Hunting with soccer. I, we'll see. Coming up after the break. We're going to talk about those NHL moves, the trades, the free agents. How did your team do? Who won? Who lost? Who was indifferent? That's coming up after this. You're listening to Benson and those guys, presented by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. The warm weather is here to stay, but so are those pesky critters. Bees are beginning to build their hives, ants are driving everyone nuts, and spiders seem to be popping up in every corner of the house. But thanks to Town & Country Pest Solutions, these nuisances can be no more. If you have a serious problem that needs to be controlled, give them a call. I'm not just advertising for them. I am a customer, and believe me, they have the solution for any pest problem. I've mentioned it before, and it's still true. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. 
We've been telling you for a few weeks now that the G&T Youth Soccer is registering for both the 14U Division and the extremely popular Happy Five Division for ages 11 and under. Well, the 11U Boys Division is now full, and the others are filling quickly. So if you have a young soccer player who wants to play, get registered today. Games are played Saturday mornings beginning August 15th, continuing through October 3rd. Space is limited, and as we've been telling you, the program is very popular, so don't delay. Registration is now open at gntsoccer.com, gntsoccer.com. All games are played at the beautiful GNT Sports Park in Hilton. The program's been around, serving the community for over 24 years. For more information or to register, visit gntsoccer.com. Cause freedom don't come free I'm an American soldier An American Beside my brothers and my sisters Welcome back to Benson and Those Guys Happy 4th of July, Happy Independence Day To the three of you that are listening right now That aren't out busy doing 4th of July type activities Alright, so The NHL draft happened A whole bunch of crazy trades happened the free agent frenzy happened. Uh, now, I should clarify, we re- recorded the show, or I recorded the show, a, a couple days in advance. Um, as it's Independence Day, I don't want to be stuck in the studio. I want to be doing stuff, too. So, recorded this in advance. Um, as of now, I've got some winners and losers from this flurry of activity in the NHL. It's It's been really a good month or two for the NHL. It, the the entire Stanley Cup postseason was terrific. The Stanley Cup finals between Tampa Bay and Chicago were fantastic. The quality of the hockey was great. The quality of the beards was better. It's it's just been great. Uh the ratings I believe were good. The uh the games were fantastic. They were just crazy edge of your seat, very entertaining games. And now the off season has started. And it's also been fantastic. I mean, you had one of the deepest drafts in history. You had Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel right, and Dylan Strome right over the top. Just a great year to be picking in at the top of the first round. And uh, it's crazy because Connor McDavid is a once-in-a-lifetime generational type of talent. But so is Jack Eichel. So I guess really you can't call them either once-in-a-lifetime type of talent when they went in the same draft. But anyways, I digress. So here's here's my winners and losers. My my first winner of the offseason so far in the NHL is our own Buffalo Sabres from right down the road. Obviously, Jack Eichel uh, is a franchise type of guy. He's a future stud. He's, he's uh, already signed his contract. He's coming. He's coming this year. Um, he's exceptionally fast. Uh, Dan Bilesma, the new Sabres coach, has not been able to stop raving about the speed that he has. He's played against men in international play. He can hold his own. You might see him at 18 or 19. You might see him playing for the Sabres, maybe on the second line or third line this year, which is just crazy to think about. But um, he's good, and he's going to be fun to watch. But the Sabres, they also traded uh, with Colorado, got Ryan O'Reilly and J.B. McGinn. Um, O'Reilly is a very, very good young center, a number one, number two type of center. He's only 24 years old. He's going to be getting some big money. They've got to get him signed long term, but he's very good. Uh, McGinn's only 26. He's going to play on the wing. They added goalie uh, Robin Lanner and center David Leguan from Ottawa. Lanner's 23. He's a huge dude. He's like 6'5". 
And for a while, he was thought of as the goalie of the future in Ottawa until uh, the rise of the Hamburglar, Andrew Hammond, this past season. But they think that they've solved their goalie problem. Uh, suddenly, they're extremely deep at the center position with very good, very talented centers. And and I said this to Benson probably off-air when Bilesman was the hire as the head coach. Bilesman, when he was successful uh, in Pittsburgh, they were very deep at center. And I thought, even before all this happened, the, the, the Sabres were decent at center. They had some good centers on the roster, and, and we're going to be adding Jack Eichel. And But you add Ryan O'Reilly to that, and then a veteran guy like Legwand, who maybe will go play on the wing. But And you, you add that to what the Sabres already have, some of the guys like Evander Kane and Zach Bogosia that they added at the deadline. Um, suddenly, this looks like a pretty good team. I'm not saying that they're a contender, you know, right off the bat. We got to see how everybody plays together, but they look like a much improved team. They don't really have any glaring weaknesses at this point. And um, I, I saw a tweet uh, from a, an NHL beat writer that was in the draft room on the, on the draft floor when it was going on, when all these trades were happening and stuff. And he said the general consensus among uh, team and league officials that were there when this was all going down is that the Sabres and the Boston Bruins have kind of switched places where the Bruins really took a dive. And we'll talk more about them later um, in their, their skill on their roster on paper. And the Sabres have really just jumped and leapfrogged them. And, and I think any team, if you look at where the Bruins have been before this past season, over the last decade or so, they've been so good and so consistent. I think any team, if you were offered the opportunity, hey, would you like to trade places with the Bruins? I think you take it. Uh, so things things are looking up for the Sabres, and I'm not saying they're going to be a contender. I'm not going to call them a playoff team right off the bat, but they are definitely going to be a fun team to watch. They're going to be exciting. Get your tickets quick because they're they're going to go up in price. Another team I thought was a winner this week, the Detroit Red Wings. They made really only two significant moves, but they were good moves. They're very Red Wings-type moves. Uh, Brad Richards center look he's older he doesn't have the legs he used to have but he showed some jump uh with the blackhawks just won another stanley cup uh a good veteran guy they've got a lot of good players but a lot of good young players the guys that can learn from brad richards uh he's an excellent passer and distributor he makes things happen he's not not afraid to throw the puck on net which is good for young players to see and they added mike green uh to the defense he's not especially great uh in his own end but he's a great passer he's a good shooter he's offensively he's going to add a lot to that team and I just think that they really filled some holes and and uh I like what they've done they didn't have to do a lot because they're very good already but the Red Wings winners in my book the Toronto Maple Leafs which when was the last time you that the Maple Leafs made some moves and you're like oh yeah good moves by the Maple Leafs they've kind of been stuck in mediocrity for a long time made some real questionable decisions but they finally decided this is the time this is the year we're going to clean house we're going to start over and they traded Phil Kessel, which normally when a team gets rid of the best player on their team, you don't say, all right, way to go. Good move by those guys. But it really needed to happen. His numbers dipped precipitously this year, and you could just see yeah, he didn't want to be playing. He wasn't interested in playing. He just didn't want to get hurt. The team was was awful. He was not invested. He was not playing hard. And, you know, it became a distraction. It was talked about. I'm sure it was a locker room and a clubhouse issue uh, in the clubhouse. But anyways... He's gone. They got picks and prospects um, from the Penguins. Um, they shed a ton of salary over the next six years of his deal. They also added uh, P.A. Parentu, Mark Arcobello, Matt Hunwick, former Ranger defenseman, 
uh, and Daniel Winnick. Those are all guys. They're not superstar guys. They're not top two line guys. They're bottom six guys. But they round out the depth for the Leafs really well. They're veteran guys that the young players that are going to be coming up to the system can learn from. Uh, I like what they've done. I mean, they're not. They're probably going to be below 500. They're not going to be a playoff team, but they're headed in the right direction. They finally have done what everyone knew they needed to do. They're blowing it up. They're starting over. And um, I love that they've got an analytics department. They have an advanced stats uh, analytics department uh, full of guys who understand possession and how it affects your hockey team. And, you know, the moves that they make show that they understand these things and are moving in the right direction. Things are actually starting to turn around in Toronto. The Edmonton Oilers, another Canadian franchise that you could say, what are they thinking? What have they been doing? They've been stuck in neutral for a long time. Seems like they pick first in the draft every year. You know, three of the last four, three of the last five, something like that, four of the last six maybe. They've had the first overall pick. They keep taking offensive players, not addressing the defense, not addressing the goaltending situation. They did both. They traded with the Rangers for Cam Talbot, very good goaltender, 27 years old, but really saved the Rangers' season when Henrik Lundqvist went down for over a month and uh, Talbot won something like 21 games. He was ridiculous. He he really literally saved the season for the Rangers. Gets a chance now to be a number one guy in Edmonton. They also uh, picked up Andre Sakara, former Saber. Uh, good defenseman, very great at the outlet pass. He's going to get the puck up quickly in transition to those uh, number one draft pick forwards that the Oilers have. It's going to help uh, get the puck out of his own zone, starting the rush quickly. Uh, and Mark Letestu, they signed, who's going to be just a veteran, can play the wing or center. The Oilers are finally finally headed in the right direction, addressing the defense and the goaltending. And don't forget, they drafted Connor McDavid, who was supposedly the next Gretzky, the next Sidney Crosby. So the Oilers, things are looking up for them. The... Uh, the Calgary Flames surprised everyone last year, made the uh, the playoffs, um, went on a tear at the beginning of the season, and then were able to play well enough to get into the playoffs. Resigned their goalie, Kerry Ramo. Uh, added Dougie Hamilton in a trade from the Bruins, who's, who's going to do the same thing for them, I think, that Sakara is going to do for the Oilers. He's going to help with the transition and the passing and the offense. and Also, not a terrible defenseman. And they also added Michael Frolik, uh at wing. Score, good player. They have a loaded, young core of offensive players in Calgary, adding Froelich and Hamilton to that. Things are looking up in Calgary. They're already a playoff team, and they just got better. The Carolina Hurricanes were, for much of the season, in contention for that top draft pick. Played just well enough to play their way out of the top of the first round. They added James Wisniewski from the Ducks. Defenseman, uh, elite power play shot and passing puts up a ton of power play points. Um, he's going to be a help there. Uh, and then Eddie Lack, the goalie from Vancouver, a guy who's been a, a, a backup, you know, a, a tandem starter. I think he's going to get the chance to be a starter there in Carolina. He's a very good goalie, experienced goalie. He's going to be able to step in and do a good job right away. The Hurricanes, I think, are also trade winners. And you notice I got a lot of winners in this year's offseason and so far in this offseason. And that's I think an example of um, where the league is going, you know, people are, are understanding advanced statistics and analysis, puck possession, what it means outside of the avalanche who are determined to go the opposite direction and really paid the price for it this past season. A lot of teams making smart moves. You're not seeing those big, those big David Clarkson type deals where you throw a ton of money at somebody that had one good season and then 
it reverts back to form. You know, people that you're seeing smarter moves, smarter trades, smarter signings. Three teams that I thought were losers this week. The Pittsburgh Penguins. Now they added an elite scorer, multiple time 30 goal scorer in Phil Kessel. The problem with that is they were already right up against the salary cap. Everybody knew, except for the Penguins, I guess. Everybody knew the Penguins have got to shed some salary. Shane's been saying it uh, nonstop. He expected them to trade Evgeny Malkin just to free up uh, some cap space and bring in some first-round picks. And instead of shedding salary, they added six more years of expensive salary in Phil Kessel. Uh, the, their undoing in the playoffs was their lack of depth. They were exposed by the Rangers because the Rangers are such a deep team. They have speed on every line and the Penguins couldn't match it, you know, and the games were close, but they, they lost in five games because they didn't have the depth and they were so tight against the cap that when a bunch of their defensemen got injured, they didn't have this cap room to bring up another defenseman. So they played with not a full contingent of defensemen and it showed. And um, when they needed to shore up, uh, to, to, to free up some cap space, Instead, they added. So they added an elite player, but now they don't have the money to fix that depth issue, and they're going to be only marginally better, I think, than they were last year. The Boston Bruins, uh, they were kind of an up-and-down kind of team. It's kind of a schizophrenic kind of team. They they made some good moves and some bad moves. They traded Milan Lucic, who's one of their franchise players. They traded Dougie Hamilton. They got decent but not great returns for both. But Hamilton signed an extension in Calgary for only a little more than what Boston wanted to pay him, which raises the question, how hard to try to keep him, and why didn't you find a way to get that done? He's young, he's a great player, it just seems like he's not the guy that you trade away over that little bit of money. They did well uh, in the Martin Jones trade with San Jose, they got Martin Jones, the goaltender, from LA, traded him to San Jose, I thought they got a great haul in that trade, but then they immediately trade a third round pick to the Flyers for Zach Ronaldo who is useless. Zach Ronaldo is a goon. If you've ever seen him play, he skates around like a pinball, seeing who can he hit, who can he fight. As a hockey player, he's awful. He's useless, and they give up a third-round pick for him. I will not understand that probably ever. Uh, the Bruins then uh, Wednesday night got Jimmy Hayes from Florida, who's a useful player, a good player. Um, but they gave up a couple of useful players for him, so it, it, this trade seems to kind of cancel itself out. And finally, the New York Rangers, my beloved New York Rangers. And they were another team that made some good moves and then some moves that made me scratch my head. They got something for Cam Talbot. Um, he was ready to be a starter. He His contract's up after the year. He's at the height of his value right now. So they needed to trade him, and they did. But there were rumors that they're going to get a first-round pick. And then, all right, they had an offer on the table from a team for two second-round picks. And I believe what they ended up getting was a second, a third, and a fifth rounder, which is not bad for your backup goaltender, but still, I mean, you're talking, you went from a first or maybe two seconds to a second, third, and a fifth. I don't, I think that they overplayed their hand and, and then, um, some other goalies got moved and they were kind of left scrambling for a seat, you know, when the, when the music ended and, uh, they made a really gutsy trade of Carl Hagelin, who's a fan favorite and one of the fastest players in the league. Traded him to Anaheim for Emerson Edom, who's only slightly slower, still very fast. Got a little scoring touch, still needs to uh, find his role. I like Edom. I loved Carl Hagelin, but I understand they needed to clear up his cap space. He was going to be making a lot of money for the role that he plays. 
Um, they signed Victor Stahlberg, who I liked, was a Blackhawk a few years ago. Had a disappointing season with Nashville, but is another fast player, defensively responsible, who can play on that fourth line. But they have not traded Kevin Klein or Tanner Glass, two guys who are overpaid for their roles on the team. The biggest move that the Rangers really made this week was announcing that their general manager had stepped down, was going to retain his title as president, but hand over the general managership to Jeff Gordon. Rangers, I was hoping for more from you. Coming up after the break, the best player in baseball is not Mike Trout, and it's not Bryce Harper. I'm going to tell you who it is after this. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Juventus FC, the Italian champions and one of the best soccer clubs in the world, will be hosting a five-day camp here in Rochester. Coaches from the Juventus Youth Academy are coming all the way from Italy to share the coaching and soccer philosophy of one of the most successful soccer clubs ever. The camp is open to boys and girls ages 5 to 17 who want to improve their level of play. Each participant will experience five days of top quality training and will leave the camp with a brand new Juventus uniform, a participation diploma, and some fantastic memories. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to learn from the best and show them what you can do. The dates of this amazing camp are July 20th through the 24th at Grace and Truth Sports Park in Hilton. The cost is $375 and you can register online at abcsportscamps.com forward slash JSC. McAfee's Remodeling is a full-service remodeling company, locally owned and operated for nearly two decades. McAfee's team of professionals can help remodel or replace your windows, and for exterior and interior remodels, no one beats their personal and professional service. Call McAfee's Remodeling at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Welcome back to Benson and Those Guys. As I said, it's just me, just Zach, and the iPad this week. As Benson is out of town, Darren's doing something. This is the time of year. Uh, we're getting into July now, where fantasy uh, championships can be won or lost, where you're looking to find that one missing piece to put your team over the top. And as I was looking through some numbers and some guys I was thinking about trading for, uh, something really jumped out at me. I'd share it with you guys since I'm doing the show by myself and I can talk about whatever I want to. People have been talking a lot about Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, best players in baseball. Which one is it? And the general consensus is it's Mike Trout, but Bryce Harper's on his way there. I'm here to tell you the best player in baseball is neither of those two guys. Ladies and gentlemen, best player in baseball, not Mike Trout, not Bryce Harper. In fact, if you're a casual fan or you live in the eastern part of the country like I do, you probably haven't even heard of him. But the best player in baseball, I'm here to tell you, it's Arizona Diamondbacks first baseman, Paul Goldschmidt. He's at or near the top of every important offensive category, not only for the National League, but in all of baseball. He already has a gold glove, so he's multidimensional. He's offensive and defensive player. He's one of a new breed of first baseman, uh, like Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs, who not only can hit for average, hit for power, but can steal bases. When was the last time you could say that about a first baseman? Uh, 
Goldschmidt's career high in steals was 18 uh, in his rookie year of 2012, uh, but he's on pace to shatter that. I mean, we're, it, we're in the start of July. He's already got 15 steals this year. Those 15 stolen bases tie Paul Goldschmidt for eighth in baseball. Not eighth in stolen bases for first baseman or even eighth in stolen bases in the National League, but eighth in stolen bases in all of baseball. This is a first baseman, a power-hitting first baseman we're talking about. In fact, I would argue Paul Goldschmidt should be the number one pick in every fantasy baseball draft. Here's a few numbers to show you just how impressive Paul Goldschmidt is. And keep in mind, we recorded this show a couple days early, so these have probably gone up a little bit since then. In the major leagues, Paul Goldschmidt, first in batting average at 354. 354, that's ridiculous. Sixth in home runs with 20. Again, these numbers are in all of baseball, not just the National League. Third in runs batted in with 65. First in walks. Not only is he first in walks in all of baseball, he's walked 61 times and struck out 62. Almost one fewer walks than strikeouts. First in baseball in on-base percentage at 469. Second in baseball in slugging percentage at 639. Second in on-base plus slugging at 1.108. And first in intentional walks. Second is Miguel Cabrera with six fewer than Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt, what more can you say? You look at those numbers, the dude's a monster. He's a monster. He hits for power. He's hitting over 350. He's stolen 15 bases. We're only into July. Fans are taking notice as Goldschmidt is leading the all-star vote getting for the National League at first base with more than double the number of votes as second place, which is uh, Adrian Gonzalez from the Dodgers. The scary thing about Paul Goldschmidt, he's only 27. He can still get better. Your peak years are usually 27 or 28 through 30. So when Paul Goldschmidt wins the 2015 National League MVP award, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. As usual, you heard it here first on Benson and those guys. So if I'm looking to make that one trade for that big piece that's going to get me over the hump in my fantasy championship, Paul Goldschmidt's the guy I want. He can help you in every category. Paul Goldschmidt, best player in baseball. While we're on the subject of baseball, let's talk about a couple of major league teams that are a mess. First of all, the Philadelphia Phillies. Ryan Sandberg resigned as manager this week. He blamed the accumulation of losses, of which there are many, and coming changes to the structure of the organization. And by that, the Phillies are looking for uh, somebody to run things. They're bringing in Andy McPhail to oversee operations. And McPhail, of course, and Sandberg didn't really get along, dating back to uh, Sandberg's last few years with the Cubs when McPhail was there. But just so many things went comically wrong for the Phillies this year. There was the incident we talked about before on the show where Jeff Francoeur was brought into pitch in a blowout loss. The bullpen phone gets left off the hook. Sandberg can't get a hold of the bullpen to warm another pitcher up. And his right fielder gets left in to throw 58 pitches. You know, or um, there was an incident with Chase Utley, their second baseman, where where Ryan Sandberg was never made aware of Chase Utley's injury or his condition, you know, and, and he was getting frustrated with the way things were going with information not being passed on to him and vice versa. And, uh, so he left, he's done, he's gone. He knows 
look, things are ugly here. They're only maybe going to get uglier as a new regime takes over. So he's out. And it's a shame because he was a great player. He's a Hall of Fame player. He finally got his first chance to manage, and he gets in a situation like this. It's unfair to Ryan Sandberg. And then how big of a mess are the Angels? Oh, my gosh, the Angels. Arte Marino, I don't know what he's doing there. I mean, he just, a month and a half ago or so, ran Josh Hamilton out of town, talked about trying to get out of his contract for Josh Hamilton's behavior. And, and uh, you know, instead of being concerned about a player that's on his payroll and his, you know, mental and physical well-being and, and uh, the fact that he'd had a drug and alcohol relapse and trying to get Josh Hamilton taken care of and get him into a better place, he's talking about how he wants to get out of his contract and he has Josh Hamilton's locker removed from the locker room and all of this stuff. And you're just looking at this and thinking, man, this is ugly. This could not get any uglier. Except this week, it got uglier because Mike Sosha won his power struggle with a uh, Angels general manager, Jerry Depoto. Jerry Depoto is a new wave kind of guy. He's an advanced statistics and analysis kind of guy. He has, He's a data-driven guy. He wants his players to have data, his coaches and managers to have data, to be able to go through, exploit matchups and things of that nature. Apparently, Jerry Depoto was trying to get this data to his players, and Mike Sosha and Mike Sosha's staff were not giving it to the players. Mike Sosha is a hard-nosed, old-school, former catcher, been in the game for decades and decades, not into this new uh, advanced stats and analysis and sabermetrics type of thing. So by all accounts, he bypassed it. He didn't give the information to the players. So Jerry Depoto called uh, a meeting over this past weekend, and he said, all right, we're giving this information straight to the players. We're bypassing the coaching staff. One thing leads to another. DePoto goes into owner Arte Marino's office and says, look, either I stay or Socia stays. Well, DePoto's gone. Socia stayed. Socia wins this power struggle. And look, you guys all know from previous discussions, I'm the stat nerd. I'm into advanced statistics and analysis and sabermetrics. I believe they're extremely valuable, and I believe you're nuts as a team not to use them and at least at least look at them and go over the data yourself. Angels are not doing that. Jerry DePoto, very smart baseball guy, looking for a new job. Arte Marino, when he took over with the Angels, things were great. He was going to spend money. He was interested. He was an interesting person. He gave great sound bites. But this is a mess. And when you have a manager who is not doing what his boss, the general manager, tells him to do, who is an open rebellion against the front office, you don't side with that guy. I'm sorry. Mike Sosha has been there a long, long time. He has more time on his contract. I get that. You can't have that. The Angels are a mess. They had egg on their face from the Hamilton thing. They have more egg on their face from this DePoto thing. It's just ugly. It's just ugly. And I really don't know what they're going to do about it because now... You have to get a new general manager for a team, and they're five games over 500 or so. They're they're in the race, you know. They're not out of it, but you're going to bring in a general manager who knows. Yeah, the last guy here is gone because they value the manager more than him, and it, it the next guy is basically just going to be a puppet for Mike Sosha, and he's going to know it going in. He's going to have to be okay with that. So you're not going to get a respected baseball guy, a respected general manager 
to take that job because no one wants to go in there and be pushed around. If you're the Angels, you just made a stupid mistake, and you're paying for it for a while, I think. While we're talking about owners in sports, watching what was going on in the NHL this week and watching all the talent, the loads of talent that the Sabres have brought on board and and uh, a successful cup-winning coach in Dan Bilesman, just looking at how things have turned around so quickly there over the last few weeks. Terry Pagula has got to be one of the better owners in sports, wouldn't you say? I mean, you look at what he's done just in the last year or so with the Bills and the Sabres. Look at both of those teams, what they were like before he got there, what they're like now. Now, I know he's been with the Sabres for a while, and the knock on him is that when he got to the Sabres, he waited too long to pull the trigger on on cleaning house. But I look at that as a positive. In retrospect, yeah, you know, he kept RC Regeer around too long and he didn't make the changes early enough, but he's a first time owner getting into it, owning a sports team. He's going to listen to his sports people, his hockey people who are going to advise him. He's not going to come in and shake things up when he maybe doesn't know the best, but he's going to, he's going to wait things out and see. And that's what he did. And I like that better than an owner who's going to jump in and meddle and make decisions when he's not the smartest guy in the room. You look at what he's done since buying the bills. I mean, look at that roster. Look at, I mean, he brought in Rex Ryan, immediately gave the Bills some flash, um, some street cred, I guess, if you will. Uh, Rex Ryan, in turn, brings in a bunch of players that maybe don't come to Buffalo otherwise. Um, some coaches, uh, successful coaches, and, and you look at that roster, and I know Terry Pagula is not the guy making the moves. He's not making the calls. He's not making the trades. He's not submitting the draft picks but he's the guy who goes to his general manager and his coaches and says look whatever you got to do you do it the money's there you know as a general manager you can't make these moves uh for example the the trade for ryan o'reilly ryan o'reilly is a restricted free agent they need to pay him he needs a new deal and it's going to be expensive you don't trade for a guy like that unless you have the green light from your owner yeah, I know he's going to need a lot of money. It's there. Do what you have to do. Terry Pagula has done that for the Bills. He's done it for the Sabres. Now, last time he did it for the Sabres, yeah, it didn't work out well. The money wasn't spent well. But again, he's acting on the advice of his hockey people. You look at the excitement in Buffalo right now. I mean, he, the talent he's added to the Bills, added to the Sabres, the way he's built the Harbor Center and revitalized that area of Buffalo, the way he's talking about potentially a new stadium down the road for the Bills. I tell you what, Terry Pagula seems to be a fantastic owner. And, and, and looking at things like the situation with Arte Marino and, and uh, the things that some of the other owners have, have done recently, Terry Pagula's up there, man. And if you're from this area, if you're from Western New York, you've got to love Terry Pagula. He, if, if the Sabres and the Bills become playoff teams, Terry Pagula will never have to pay for a meal again in the state of New York. Terry Pagula will be a legend in Western New York. Coming up after the break, an interview, Pest of the Week, more stuff. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country, Pest of the Week. Welcome 
We talk a lot about the different G&T athletics that are offered. Do you know there's a swim camp? Oh, really? I like swimming. Well, it's not for you. It's for your kids starting ages three, four years old. As long as they can put their face in the water for at least three seconds, (laughs) that's a level one swimmer. Oh, all right. They have The camp is July 6th to the 10th. It goes from noontime to 5 p.m., depending on what level is level one. Five hours of swimming for... No, kids? no, no. There's different classes. Oh, you got okay, level okay. one, level three, level four, level two. You got all these different levels. So you sign up for I don't know. It's an hour, hour and a half. It's what if I don't months. know how to swim? That's what this camp is for. You it said it wasn't the- for me. I want to learn how to swim. Well, I, it's for your kids. It's not for you. Can I join with them? Fifty dollars. Your kid learns how to swim. But I'm surprised that you guys, you guys are young enough. I'm surprised you guys haven't done this. Um, this camp has been around for a while. My wife always talks about doing it. Maybe I should. Well, you can't. You're not getting it. This you're you're such a moron. I want to swim for your kids. Fine. Starting at your how old? You, well, it doesn't matter. Three starting at ages three or four. If they can put their face in the water for a few seconds without freaking out, then this camp mm. is for them. July sixth through tenth, you can sign up. G and T Athletics dot info. That's G and T Athletics dot info. July sixth through the tenth, twelve p.m. to five p.m. All gave some. Some gave all Some stood through for the red, white, and blue Welcome back to Benson and Those Guys. Since it's just me today, I don't have a fresh interview lined up for you, so I thought that like last time I hosted by myself, I would play one of my favorite interviews from the past that we've done. Uh, so I went through the archives and I pulled out uh, an interview we did with Randy Holland, a former athletic trainer from the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Worked with a lot of players whose names you would recognize if I went through the list, but he he came on uh, last year after former uh, Rangers manager Ron Washington left the team uh, after he had cheated on his wife, and he left the team to, to be at home with her. Randy just had a lot of good things to say about marriage and about his marriage, and um, as this week, uh, yesterday marked my five-year wedding anniversary, I've been thinking a lot about marriage this week, and so I wanted to listen to that interview again. So without further ado... Here is former Toronto Blue Jays trainer, Randy Holland. And joining us on the program uh, once again is Randy Holland, who spent nearly 20 years in professional baseball. Randy is a physical trainer who has worked with many top athletes, many names that you would recognize. He's not only developed a training program that has resulted in improved player conditioning, but he's also a mentor, a discipler of men, specifically athletes. And because of his background, I've asked Randy to join us Uh here on the program, and he's been kind enough to do the do that. Randy, thanks for coming on. How are you, my friend? Great, Rick. Great to hear from you. Nice to hear from you. Uh, you can speak better than anyone um, that I can think of regarding this situation. Would you be comfortable sharing your testimony um, with you and your wife? Sure. Um, I, I know that you know. I, I've obviously shared it with you, and and. Uh, I'm uh, fairly selective with, with who I, I share that with, and uh, I always get permission to be able to do that before I go out and share it for my wife. But um, I, I've been down this road, um, was in professional sports, like you said, almost 20 years with the Toronto Blue Jays. I was there for 18 years. And uh, the things that go on in, uh, in the professional world, not just the professional world, but any world where we look up to athletes, movie stars, um, there's a certain stigma, I guess, that, that, that runs in, in that crowd, and people want to be next to those people, even as an athletic trainer. And, you know, I, I was associated, I was with the Toronto Blue Jays, and so 
um, because of that, um, you know, people people wanted to be around me, not to the point of players, but just because I was a was a Blue Jay. Things uh, things are a little bit easier for me probably than they were for just the average person that's that's in maybe in the business world. So with that connotation um, and road trips and different things and uh, not getting off to a, a biblical marriage in our, our life, um, I strayed away and and became unfaithful to my wife and. Um, I would, you know, wait to go on road trips uh, in baseball and uh, not proud of it. Um, but I certainly, I, I went down that road and uh, it's, it's, it's a part of my past. Um, you know, uh, it, was, it, it, was, it was a real struggle for me. And you live this lie. And, um, you know, I, I knew God. I, I was not really what I would say. You know, I got I baptized at 12 and I was... I would say that I was, uh, you know, I got wet. I didn't really have a relationship with Christ, and I know He was always there. Um, he never, uh, never abandoned me, but I certainly did Him. And um, you know, I was living a lie, and I was living a, a lie for my wife. And um, she kept asking me what the wall was, and I, I wouldn't, I wasn't being honest with her. Christ was not in my life. She was not a Christian at the time, and. Um, you know, God used, and, and I, I share the story of David and Bathsheba. And, uh, you know, it started in Second Samuel. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. And, uh, you know, David was supposed to be out of battle that time. He was not where God had called him to. It's almost like spring training, if you think about it. You know, in the spring when kings go out to battle, I always laugh at that. Mm. But David was not where he was supposed to be. And it wasn't where God had called him to be. And, you know, David... David fell. David did the same thing with Bathsheba. His life was never the same. There's a consequence, uh, consequence for his sins, and there certainly has been for me as well. But I, I go back to that story with David, and, and, and God uses Nathan to come to, to David and to say, hey, you know what? There's this king who had all these sheep, and, and he goes next door and he grabs this other sheep, and, and, and that was Bathsheba. And that, and, and that, that owner only has one sheep. And, and he takes that sheep, and, and Nathan says to David, David, what do you think that, that, that ought to happen to that man? And David says, well, he ought to be killed. And, and Nathan says, well, David, you're that man. And God used uh, my uncle, who was a godly man in my life, to say those very words to me. Um, it wasn't exactly those words, but that's exactly what it was. Was I had moved down on my wife. I was ready to divorce her. I was going to move in with another woman. And uh, I got on the phone, and... and a godly man, my uncle was, and he got on the phone and I told him what was going on and I was going to leave and I was unhappy in my marriage. And he told me, you're in the middle of sin. He goes, you go and you look in the heart, in your heart, look at the mirror and God will tell you what to do. And he slammed the phone down on me. And, uh, my life was never the same after that, Rick. I, uh, that was Easter Sunday of, uh, 1985 and, uh, I'm sorry, 1995. And uh, I had an out-of-body experience. I couldn't get home to my wife fast enough. Uh, I wanted to tell her exactly what had happened. And um, I knew that God had forgiven me. I got on my knees and I asked forgiveness. And I said, God, I want to get my life right with you first. And I went home and, and this verse stuck in my mind, uh, Rick. It was Psalm 103.12. And it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far has he forgiven our sins. And at that man, I knew I, at that moment, I knew I was free. I knew I was set free with, with, with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But that didn't mean my wife was going to forgive me. 
And I went home, and I remember going home and telling her what had happened. And I remember one of the hardest days of my life going home and doing that. But it was like an out-of-body experience. I couldn't get there fast enough. And I told her, I said, listen, and, 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 I, and I got clean with her, and I told her, and I said, this is going to hurt you. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, and whenever you ask me a question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. And, and this is the wall that was up. And so I repented to her, and uh, she forgave me. And uh, it has not, it had not been easy. Um, it's been, it's been a process, but that's, that's what I, that's what I went through. And there's so much more to the story, Rick, um, on forgiveness and redemption, first from my Lord Jesus Christ and then, and then from my wife. And she has forgiven me. And biblically, as you know, she didn't have to do that. She needed to forgive me, but she didn't need to stay married to me, but she did. And she hung in there. I always find it impactful. Randy, you always... Uh, talk about God. You sought forgiveness from God. He forgave you first and foremost, and then you turned to your wife. And in and, and something like this, and certainly you know, the Ron Washington situation uh, has gotten news, but it, it happens all the time. It happens in our society a lot. What do you think is the most crucial thing for Ron and his wife to do to get through this situation? Well, my, my, my first prayer is that, that, that Ron, can, and I don't know the story, I pray that he didn't get caught. Yeah, I'm always concerned about that when when somebody gets caught and doesn't you know doesn't fully say hey you know what I'm sorry I, I always wondered are they really are sorry that they got caught so my prayer is is that he knew that he was living in sin and he turned that around now I don't know if, if Ron's a believer or not but I can tell you what saved our marriage and I don't know how people do it but the thing that saved us was our faith in Jesus Christ through this situation my wife became a Christian. And she was just at that point right then and there where she was, she was through all of this, she had to seek a higher power, and she sought and found Jesus Christ through that whole thing. I don't know how people would make it through it without understanding forgiveness. And that only comes through the cross on what Jesus did for us and, and, and the death that he paid. We're, we're born sinners. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Look at a two-year-old when they come into the world. You don't have to see that. We don't have to teach them to be selfish. Mine, mine, mine. And... Jesus Christ forgave me, my wife forgave me, and through Jesus Christ, it has, it has made it. I don't know how it makes it without Jesus in the middle of it. I just don't know how they make it. Because of the travel lifestyle that's associated with pro sports, do you suppose that trust is gone forever, or is that something that can get overcome? Oh, that's absolutely something you can overcome, but, but trust comes through time. I mean, when, you know, when I went and I asked for forgiveness from my wife, I wanted it like it was yesterday. Hey, God has forgiven me, you forgive me, and let's move on from this. It's not that way. This is a process. If you look at David's life, David's life was never the same after Bathsheba. I mean, God still loved him. He called him a man after his own heart. But if you look at that story, David's life was turned upside down after that. And, you know, I want my wife to forgive me like now and everything's going to be okay. And I'll tell you, it was a daily battle for a while. Then it would come up every week. Then it would come up every month. And then it would maybe come up every couple months. And so when these type of situations come up now, now it goes, it may go for a year. It may go a year and a half or so. And then something may trigger this. So I have to be very careful when, when the Ron Washingtons, the Tiger Woods, the Bill Clintons, all these, all these things that come up and we see, I have to be very careful when I walk down that road because that can trigger up emotions in the past. And just because, you know, we have sinned, there's consequences to our sin. We've been forgiven, but it doesn't mean that it's been forgotten. What is it about the lifestyle that makes professional athletes, young professional athletes, so vulnerable to infidelity? 
Oh, it's, it's, it's the big leagues. It's the temptation. It's the knock at the door at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's somebody wanting to get close to you because they think you have something to offer that you really don't. Um, we put these, you know, we, we tend to put these athletes up on a pedestal. I don't any longer. I used to, but when I started working with them, I understood that they have the exact same problems that we do. But we want to get close to them. Don't we want to get close to them? And everybody wants an autograph. And, you know, you can't go out to, to eat dinner without somebody coming over and asking you for an autograph when you're those guys. It's, it's a different lifestyle. We all ask for their attention all the time. So we put them up on a shelf. And, man, I'm telling you, I, I saw it in professional baseball. Women are lined up outside every night. And these guys, you know, they, they can go out and they can have a different woman every night, these people. I mean, they are lined up to do that. And uh, it's why I didn't end up taking the big league job after 18 years. They came to me and offered me the head job. And I told them that my wife, after what we had been through, and, and the Blue Jays knew me B.C., before Christ, and they've known me since Christ was, had lived in my life. I, you know, before I moved to Arizona, I was the chapel leader there. And I oftentimes wonder, I wonder what they think about me coming into the clubhouse doing baseball chapel because most of those people know my past. But, but thank God, you know, um, amazing grace, you know, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was lost but now, and blind, but now I see. That's me, man. And that's forgiveness that, that Jesus Christ has granted to us. But, but when I went to the Blue Jays and I said, listen, there's a reason I can't take this job, and here's the deal. My wife now is my accountability partner. I don't trust myself going to a hotel room and being with the Blue Jays and somebody knocking on my door at 3 o'clock, a girl, and throwing herself at me. I want to believe that I would have the biblical knowledge now and the accountability people and the, and the people around me to not go down that path. But my wife, I told them my wife needed to be on those trips. And so I said, if you'll pay me X amount of dollars and fly my wife on every trip, I'll be your, I'll consider being your head athletic trainer. So people just want to get close to people, people that are associated with, with, with professional sports. People want a piece of them. And they'll do oftentimes, and, and oftentimes it's through sex that they'll, you know, they'll be able to go out and brag that they've been able to, you know, sleep with player X, Y, or Z. Mm. Knowing that, Randy, you work with a lot of young people, you work with uh, young athletes. What do you say to prepare that naive young man chasing a career in sports, and uh, what what do you think they really need to know and of what to expect? You know, what it, what it truly looks like to be a biblical man. Um, I just, I, I, you know, uh, thank the Lord I didn't have uh, the Internet and, and, and a smartphone when I was in high school. I don't know, you know, I believe I still would have found the Lord at some place by his grace. He reached out and he touched me. But, man, it's, it's about, for a young boy, it's about what is, it, what is it to be a biblical man? What does it look like to be a biblical man? And you know, Rick, the reason that I really moved out here was discipleship of men and trying to pour into those young men and to have a young man come alongside an older man and, and to say, listen, these are, these are the mistakes that I made, but you don't have to make those mistakes. You don't have to go down the heartache that I went down. My wife did not biblically have to allow me to stay in this marriage. I mean, the, the, the funny story is here is, is, is down the road. We ended up teaching at the church that we used to belong in Florida. We took a premarital class for seven years. That's, that's, that's the goodness. That's the grace. That's the mercy of Jesus Christ. And to try and instill in a young man, a young athlete, the principles of, of, of biblical sound, what does it look like to be a biblical man, a biblical husband? 
and to try to hook those 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 kids into youth groups and trying to get the word of God in front of them. That's the only thing that I know. That's the only piece that that I can I can give to those kids. Apart from that, it's really a crapshoot. But I know I know the you know I've seen the light, and uh, you know unfortunately I didn't see the light until later in my life. But at least I saw the light, and uh, more that we can get in front of these kids and schools and and try to bring the word of, of God to them. Um, the better off, not just they're going to be, but our country is going to be. Randy, that's great advice. Um, appreciate your work and what you do. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. But before I let you go, um, is there anything we can specifically pray for you about? Um, yeah, I mean, out here, you know, I, I'm getting a little bit involved with uh, with an organization, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There's a man that moved out here from Delaware. God is really putting a network together out here of some neat stuff that's going on. He's putting men in my life. Um, I would just, you know, just say that, that, that uh, you know, that I want to be like Paul, you know. I want to, uh, I, I want to follow Christ, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. I just, I just ask for prayer that, that I would be able to do that, to be, to be the light and, and to send the glory to God. A lot of times, you know, this can, this isn't about me. And sometimes I, I think it is about me, but it's about the glory of God. So just that I put that in perspective would be great. And one other prayer is, you know, is our dear friend Don Gordon, who's going through a lot of, uh, uh, he was my mentor, my Paul, the Paul-Timothy relationship. And Don has, has had some physical problems for the last, you know, probably three months. And he's, he's really up and down with his health right now. So that's a big prayer request on my heart. All right, we'll keep those things in prayer. Randy, thanks again for joining us. Great advice. My prayer is going to be that, you know, the, your advice impacts some young man uh, who hears that. And, Amen. Uh, Amen. Hey, am I going to see you down in the Dominican? I'm hoping, brother. I'm planning to be there. I look forward. Okay. I trust I'll be with you. Uh, amen. That would be great. All right. Thanks for joining us. Again, that was our interview from last September with former Toronto Blue Jays minor league athletic trainer Randy Holland. At this part of the show, at the end here, we always go around and give our pest of the week since we're brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Since it's just me, going to be just my pest this week. My pest of the week is NBA writer Brian Winhorst of ESPN. He tweeted Wednesday that Kevin Love is returning to the Cavs according to sources. Kevin Love announced it himself on the Players' Tribune website. There are no sources. I know it's ESPN policy to just quote sources and not give credit to other organizations or whatever, but when the source is the player himself, I'm pretty sure you can go ahead and just use the guy's name. Benson and Those Guys is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Visit us online, btgprogram.com. Visit us on Twitter, at btgprogram. On Facebook, you can search for us. Thanks for listening. Hope you're having a great Independence Day. I'll leave you uh, with the immortal words of Johnny Cash to take you out as we go and celebrate our independence. You're listening to Benson and those guys. Brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. And I believe she can take a whole lot more. So we raise her up every morning. We take her down every night. We don't let her touch the ground and we fold her upright. On second thought, I do like to brag. Cause I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag.